Broadcasting worldwide from an undisclosed location high up on the Rocky Mountains, here are your hosts, Chris and Cherie Gio. All right, hour number three, we're going commercial free with Alan Watts, and uh, there's so many more topics we could get into. You know, we talked about, briefly, we touched upon it, I want to get back into it, um, the idea of controlled opposition, people putting out this kind of alternative information, being pushed up to the top and top and top, and ultimately leading you down the wrong trail. I want to also talk about the alien deception, too, and get Alan's take on that. Project Bluebeam, of course, and how they've geared everything up up to this point and just conditioned the population to, number one, accept extraterrestrials, um, accept the idea that there's maybe that we were even created by these extraterrestrials and all to um, bring in this New World Order agenda, which is this huge enemy, this staged alien event, this um, Project Bluebeam that we've talked about over and over and over again. Or is it the opposite? Is it that Sitchin is right and he's revealing information to all of us that we were created by extraterrestrials and uh, that there is reptilians living underground who want to come out and destroy us all? Maybe this is all a reptilian agenda. I don't know. I want to get Alan Watts' take on that. Alan, um, can you take us away on that? Well, I think the reptilians would die off of radiation as well, or the fracking if they came at the surface, so I don't think that's the way of it. So Sitchin, Sitchin, Sitchin himself was a good storyteller, and uh, people love stories. We've always loved storytelling. Uh, and, of course, it's part of human nature to sit around the campfire and tell stories, but uh, we've got to separate the, 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 what happened around the 1970s. And what happened then was when suddenly... Uh, across the libraries in the world, it's about the same time, in fact, when you went to libraries or even bookstores, you'd have the usual selections, history and oriental history and so on. And, and then, then you'd have the fiction section. And in the fiction section, you'd have all, all of the kinds of things where the imagination could take over and take you on journeys. Well, suddenly it all changed, and they started mixing them all together. I noticed this. I noticed this living through it. And I thought, what, what's happening here? Because you, here's the, 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 the history section, and you've got things like Sitchin eventually, or even precursors to him there. And what they were doing, Sitchin, was uh, deciphering that the language themselves, the ancient languages themselves, and uh, that no one else agreed with. All the other experts said, you cannot possibly do what you're doing. Uh, you can't, if a horse is a horse, then it will always be a horse. But he kept changing the meanings of the words to suit his storyline, and he spun an awfully good story, of course, and and that's how it all took off with the, with the Anunnaki, etc., etc. And you can you can learn Sumerian yourself in, in, in Egyptian as well. It's not difficult to do. And you find out that uh, definitely this guy didn't to take liberties. He literally invented reinvented the language for his books. But uh, it was a common thing in ancient times in Egypt too. You would have different gods portrayed as as human beings or symbols, and you'd have the one for the sky, the woman who was in an arch shape, etc., for instance, and she was a spirit of the sky, things like that. They were not literal beings, and the Egyptians knew this too, you see. Uh, even today in some religions you'll have icons, a symbol with a human being to represent something else. 
but uh, in ancient times it was exactly the same. So you can't take what was simply part of an ancient tradition, warp it to suit yourself, which will be a good bestseller because people lap up stuff. They can't get enough fiction. This is, this is part, by the way, of our downfall, is that the big boys use fiction to the maximum like never before today in the movies too. And if you go back into all of this and, uh, and this, this sudden announcement of UFOs, etc., in the 1940s, um, uh, when they were looking for... By the way, during uh, World War II, when they had the United Nations on the go without the, the final signatory in San Francisco at the end of the war, they had big meetings. If you read the biographies of the participants... They had big meetings to do with how are they going to get out. They, they really thought they'd get a world government out of World War II. And they said, how can we run a world government without an enemy? Because governments always exist uh, pretending to protect you from some enemy or other, you know. And that's how the worker bees keep, keep a, a, an elite with all the high bureaucrats getting well paid in such a high standard of living. So how can we stop this uh, or keep it going uh, without an enemy? So the Lester B. Pearson from Canada, for instance, and I've got the article here, an original article from the original paper that, that someone sent me, where he said, uh, and he became head of the United Nations at one point, and he said, he said, if we can have an enemy from outer space, he says, I'll unify the public. And, and, and he said, we can all come together as one, under one central control or government to, to combat this common threat. Now, they've never let go of this idea. And remember, it doesn't have to be aliens either. It can be meteors. And sure enough, in the late 40s, early 50s, look at all the sci-fis that came out with meteors coming in. Uh, uh, and, the, and the whole world has to get together to use their, their nuclear technologies to defend themselves. They've repeated the same scenario with many movies. And uh, another one, of course, was alien threats of all kinds uh, coming in. So at the end of an era, here's the key. Uh, go, go back to Plato's time. And the, the ancient philosophers knew this. Plato's uh, great-uncle Solon they went to Egypt and came out with the story of Atlantis. Because all the aristocracy of, of, of Greece went to Egypt to be trained by uh, Egypt, which was an ancient empire. And the, the, the Egyptians said to, the, to him, you don't even know how old you people are, you Greeks are. You don't even know how many civilizations have risen and lived very high, big empires, and fallen and completely disappeared over the ages. And so what they're, what they're telling them is that um, man is far older far, far older. And knowledge is never lost, by the way. The Egyptians knew that. They were collectors of knowledge all over the world. Mm -hmm. And this has never stopped right to the present day, collecting knowledge of, of controlling vast herds of people, as they say. But he said, too, that some of these civilizations became so artificial. They're based on cities, you see. A city is an artificial construct. Nothing physically, generally, is produced within the city. Everything comes into it to feed it. It runs on a thing called money. You need money to run the system, a substitute token for other things which you can purchase, which all come into the city. And, and your water is piped in today. Uh, your food all comes in. It runs, it's, it's mainly to do with the creation of more money. You see this artificial construct. 
So civilization as we know it was begun on an artificial construct of a substitute for reality or trading or barter, you understand? And this is what they mean in the high so-called mystery religions, which aren't so much of a mystery after all, really. They're just gangs of guys or profiting of conning all of you uh, with a common purpose of their own progeny going on into the future. But um, that's the secret of controlling the, the, the people, is to get them uh, dependent on your system. And, and it only takes one generation for the, for the offspring to think it's normal. Being born into a system, being trained by the system to participate in the system, to earn something called money and to be taxed very highly so that all these bureaucrats and enforcement agencies can, can help control you and live higher than you're living, by the way. You're the worker bee. That's your purpose in life. So these techniques were explained even then. And, and, and Plato was told that the higher the civilization, where it becomes more artificial, the easier it is to fall apart. Now, the big boys who control the world know all of the stuff I'm talking about. They're trained in it. They, they, they use the professors. They get professors to come in and give them lectures on this all the time at the top on what happened in previous civilizations. What happens towards the end as it's falling apart is that the new age comes in. The new age is the old age. It's the perennial religion, full of gloom, catastrophes, and crisis. Mysticism abounds. It abounds. It goes crazy. Uh, now, the technique, if you want to bring a civilization down in that order, uh, where people can't unify and fight the real enemy, <laughs> which is not ghosts or reptiles, uh, and um, is to bring them more and more mysticism until they're firing uh, at all these things that are they're invisible to them, they can't see them, but the, the politicians are left unhindered to go along with their, with their cartels, the corporations, taking over all the supplies of food, energy, everything you need to, to, to survive and live on. And, and eventually you self-destruct because you, you can't tell what's real or fiction anymore, literally. So you make it happen in the same sequence. Plato said that. He said, if you want people to behave in exactly the same way as, as they've done it in ancient times, in the previous time, you must know the formula that was used and implement it according to, to the per correct procedure to that formula. Don't miss a point. Go through every part of the formula and it will happen the same way. It's no different than if you want mothers to turn against their children and, and abort them. You simply see what they did in ancient times. Use the same arguments, the same forces, and so on, and you make it happen. You also use economics, big time. That's one big controlling factor, push for, you can't have children, we can't afford it. As Charles Galt and Darwin talked about it. But again, one of the big players for this system who taught many other professors, was Professor Carl Quigley, a member and, and private historian for the Council on Foreign Relations, because this group, the Rockefellers and all the big banking boys uh, and big banking families in it, uh, Royal Institute of International Affairs, private organizations that run the world, uh, they actually believe uh, that they have the right to rule uh, the destinies of all humankind, to eliminate us. As I say, we're the spent fuel rods, basically. Get rid of them once we're over. We're obsolete. 
and, and bring it, bring these techniques around to make us completely dysfunctional towards the end, which is the recreation of, of all the mythologies, things that have worked before. And people become desperate as they can't understand what's happening to them. And they'll, they'll go into all kinds of uh, ancient mysticism, witchcraft, etc., uh, they also use the churches big time for this as well, because that's why Madame Blavatsky said uh, uh, they would bring in their new age uh, through the existing churches. And the existing churches have all become very new agey in the last 60, 70 years, very much so. There's even groups of nuns that, are, that have signed on to the United Nations Agenda 21 with, under the oneness thing. We're all one, the unified field thing, etc., etc. So everything is going according to plan as far as the big boys are concerned. And, and they can instantly rectify it in a little bit, fine-tune it by simply... And, and there's this, the machines that they have, the, the computers across the planet, are collecting all our data all the time, including this talk, and, and seeing the effect it has on the people, fine-tuning any opposition so they can get counter or get round it or whatever, or give you some startling new announcement tomorrow. It's very easy to do. Well, and do you think that this Bill and Melinda Gates kind of plan to get people to have more abortions, to use birth control more in in poorer countries is actually backfiring in the richer countries? Because uh, the Danes, for instance, are being encouraged to have more children because their their birth rate is so unbelievably low at this point that travel companies are offering couples a three-year supply of free baby stuff you know diapers formula anything you want for three whole years if you have a if you have a baby on holiday yeah yeah it, it, it doesn't really matter because um the french are doing it too uh, uh, even in canada you know uh and quebec so it doesn't really matter because um part of the groups that, that belong to the super group at the top have already come out in Sweden, Denmark, and Norway. In fact, their, their videos are up. Uh, this particular woman, her video is up there. And she doesn't come from those countries, in fact. And, but she says that, uh, that, that their job, basically, is to bring in uh, as much multiculturalism as possible. But it's from the most diverse countries. I mean, I mean people think that it's for, from Europe. No, it's from Africa and different places, or India. Countries, in other words, where they'll be, where uh, they have completely different cultures of way of looking at life in general, etc., and and to eventually eliminate the European culture and even what you might even call the European peoples altogether. That is the big agenda, because uh, the hardest folk to control down through the ages have been within the European countries. Mm-hmm. They've been the hardest ones to control, uh, spot rebellions and everything. Now in Denmark. Uh, Denmark was openly teaching Marxism in the schools in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, still today, in fact. Open Marxism. They were one of the first countries to promote massive promiscuity with the intention that the, the, if you get them to go into promiscuity before puberty, hypersexualize them, then they'll never marry with a partner. Therefore, they'll have no offspring. Or if they get pregnant, they'll have have less problems getting an abortion because they can't support it. So uh, I was in Denmark quite a few times, in fact, and I couldn't believe uh, the the things that the children... You can see live sex shows in restaurants, for goodness sake, you know, things like that. That was back then. 
so they really promoted that and, and destroyed that very quickly. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it doesn't really matter what, what little attempts they, they, they pretend to push out there. At the same time, they're, they're bringing in massive multiculturalism from all over the world at the same time. You know who's going to predominate because those from the third world countries will have the children. They still have a, a, a kind of family ethic as they do in Latin America coming into the States. And so they will, they will predominate in the future. Yeah. Do you think that it's a, a kind of a fake opposition to have groups like La Raza here in, uh, here in the United States that, are, that openly say, uh, well, they say it in Spanish, of course, but they openly say, you know, outside the race, nothing, inside the race, everything. Do you think that these, these groups are set up specifically to cause division and make people think that there's this war against the Mexicans instead of the master's war against all of us? Well, you, it's a, again, it's an ancient technique. You radicalize. The, the big boys at the top have funded every revolution there's ever been in the last two, three hundred years. And I really mean that. And they're, they're also the top capitalists, by the way, but they also funded the, the Bolshevik revolution. And um, you must radicalize a people uh, who, and tell them they're being persecuted against a, a bad guy to make them really strong. It makes them strong. Hate makes them incredibly strong, believe it or not. And as long as they, they get their job done with, with all of their hate over a generation or two and, and radically change the culture, which they will, uh, then, then they'll start to tone it down amongst them because they're controlled at the top. Oh, you don't have to control the people down below. They follow leaders, and the leaders are always employed by the big boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You find this even in, in some revolutions, for instance, uh, and civil wars where Freemasons are brought into the lodge. And generals are sometimes told, you two will oppose each other in this war, but you'll still be brothers, you see. So they play their part. They play their part. But all the guys who follow them will believe wholeheartedly in them as one of them. Are you talking about Ulysses S. Grant as well? Because that's one of my Well, I'm, I'm sure uncles. he did as well, but there's many documented stories with Freemasonic books about uh, captured soldiers, for instance, who are officers and masons sometimes wounded, and they would be taken into the other officer's family and, and taken care of for the rest of the wars and so on. This is, this is all part of the structure. But some of them actually had, they were told they would have to oppose each other because this war was necessary for change. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I, you know, I, I, I think it all proves that it's all a show and that it's, none of it is real except at the very, very top and what they say goes even if it directly contradicts what they just said five minutes ago. Absolutely. You understand, even with all of the exposures of 9-11 and many other fake things that have happened, real, real events, but fake again, we know they wanted World War II. That's, there's been so many books come out, even right after it happened, uh, about the fact they knew the Japanese code. They knew they were going to attack Pearl Harbor. They knew that uh, they brought all the, the, the ships into the wrong place in Hawaii. Uh, and so on, uh, waiting for it all to happen, to get it kicked off. Just like they said at the New American Century in the, the 1990s on their own website, the neocons, as they like to call them, which is a good disguise, but but uh, they, they actually said that uh, we, not, we need a Pearl Harbor event to motivate the people for all these wars. In Afghanistan, they want that on the list, Afghanistan, uh, they had uh, Iraq, they had Syria, uh, Libya, and Iran, they wanted them all taken out. This is in the 1990s. 
and bingo, they get their event. Now, it doesn't matter how much exposure they get afterwards that, that knock it all down, this house of cards. Uh, they've done it. You see, it's getting it done is the important part, getting the public behind you for, for a short period of time, going ahead with the war, achieving your goals. It doesn't matter what you expose afterwards, what, what falls apart. It doesn't matter. That's always been the way. You know? I think the best example, the best recent example, really recent, of of the ability of our of our so-called masters that shouldn't really be, their ability to really pull the wool over people's eyes and make them think that, oh, we love you and we're going to take care of you. And the, those mean Russians, they, they're so mean to you. We're going to take good care of you. Was in the Ukraine. It, you saw all those people come out and protest. And now they're wor- much worse off than they would have been if they hadn't protested. Of course. In fact, the whole of Europe's worse off anyway because they're in a union which nobody wanted except the planners. And you go back into Eisenhower's talks about it with the land lease program the end of World War Two, and he said we have decided, his masters, you know, had, had decided that they wanted a united Europe. And 1948 they set up the machinery and all bureaucracies, bureaucracies across the, the Europe had a department to integrate completely into a European Union under a single super parliament. And yet they lied to the public up, up, up until 1998. Then they disclosed the, the initial agreements that said the public must never be informed of the real agenda of integration and subjugation under a, 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 a government, a European government, until the government is up and running. And that's exactly what they did. And America is to go the same way. Uh, people have forgotten NAFTA. Uh, NAFTA has now, now, now uh, morphed into the, the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement. That was, uh, in fact, that was part of the initial plan was to bring all the Pacific countries into and the Caribbean countries into it for free immigration, free transfer of, of labor and goods and so on. Uh, open borders is to come down the pike. It's still on the go. It's still getting worked out today. That's what all the, it's under the Trans-Pacific Partnership now. So, Karl uh, Marx talked about it in the 1800s. He says that there'll be a united Europe, followed by United Americas, and, and a, Eastern, uh, a far eastern Pacific region, a conglomerate under a single parliament. And the whole three uh, uh, blocks will be under a world government. We're, we're well on our way to it. I believe we are. I, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, what's really sad is that people can't be distracted from their sports. They can't be distracted from the Super Bowl in order to think about things like the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is going to decimate society as we know it, I think. And instead, they want to think about the Super Bowl. Can you go into the role of sports and how sport has been used to distract the public like bread and circus? Yes, it's been well discussed at the top, of course, and H.G. Wells talked about it too, of creating arenas across the world. He called them arenas at the time. This is all before uh, sports even became uh, so popular or were made to be popular. Uh, before that, you'd, you'd have the occasional little village uh, having a soccer team in Britain or something. And it was an amateur thing, and, and it remained that way. And guy, once guys hit 20 years old, they were off in the other things. You left the childish things behind you, you know. But uh, they, they made it into a, a sport. As they emasculated the male, who became more of a slave... 
during the say the 1920s, 30s, 40s, either down coal mines or factory towns across the world, including the U.S. I mean, most Americans don't know their history that they're, most of the U.S. Was, was, wasn't cowboys at all. It was, it was factory towns. You're owned by the factory factor, the guy who owned it all, and things like that. So as they lost their power uh, as males, basically, and then that you give them the tribal instinct by showing them a, a, a vicarious thing. You live through the guys on the field, the warriors. And in the U.S., they even took rugby uh, and, and, and well, the behaviorists and psychologists involved in it too, the early, the early boys uh, in these, those fields, uh, to try and make, to, to super attenuate the, the, the appearance of masculinity and muscle by all the padding they put on and the helmets to make them look like some super gladiator. And it was, it's worked awfully well. Where the guy literally, uh, so he's living vicariously through, through whoever's on the, on the f- football field. And he goes home to his wife, who's now in the dominant position generally through the indoctrination that went on through the 60s to the present day. The, the male feels guilty for the world's problems. He doesn't really know why, because he hasn't thought it through. And, uh, and the fact is, too, uh, no generation can take the guilt from a previous one. That's something that even Jefferson talked about, you know. But we're made to feel that way today. It's all your fault. Uh, the woman's in charge. Every comedy ridicules him. He is, he's, he's emasculated. And so he can only live through sport. Um, that's his fantasy. If I was a powerful being, I'd be on that field there fighting with my tribe. And that, that's all the team is. It's a tribe, you see, a substitute tribe. Wow, a substitute tribe, just like in Brave New World, where they have substitute happiness and substitute spouses, and they have substitute children. Wow, that's amazing. And also, too, that's why you get road rage, because once they're behind a wheel of some of these guys, it's the only place they can feel they have any power and control at all. And and so so you get more and more road rage. Wow. Okay, we have another question from the chat. It's a burning question. They've been saying this the whole time. Ask Alan about Capstone 2014 that FEMA, FEMA is doing. It's an exor- a national exercise program that they're actually calling the Capstone. Do you know anything about that? Yeah. Well, they have them every year, and Canada participates in it too. Uh, and so do some Mexican troops as well, apparently. But not just Canada. We have foreign troops that come in from other countries and NATO that participate in these, these things. We've, we've had them actually since uh, the 90s. And uh, we even had Russian troops participating in the 90s and, and through the 2000s and so uh, in Canada uh, with, with these, these kind of big exercises under the guise of catastrophes. It could be, uh, it could be natural disasters or terrorism or whatever it happens to be. But I talked to some of the Russians at uh, one of the bases, Base Borden it was, and these guys were so snobbish, believe it or not, the Russians, the officers, that they wouldn't even have their laundry done on the camp. They said it wasn't good enough. And they took it to the local laundrettes. And that's where I met them. And they told me they were over. I said, well, what, what, what are you being taught here? He says, well, mainly your civil laws. And I thought, well, why would they be learning our civil laws? Well, these, these are for martial law uh, things, to, to deal with your cultures, your civil laws in times of emergencies. In other words, the people. Uh, you know, for, for cordoning off areas and things like that. So these are all part of these ongoing exercises. Part of it, too, is to familiarize the people with, with the sight being, of, of being told what to do under these kind of conditions. It's a, it's a training. You're being trained, really, 
So when they say a training program, it's also training the public to accept guys with guns coming to the door and things like that, you know, or being moved out in a different area for a little while, things like that. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, recently, there was a blizzard in Atlanta, Georgia, or uh, it seemed like a blizzard because it completely shut down all the roads, and, and it turns out that the government didn't even do what they were supposed to do with laying down the, the stuff for the road, and they took children from the school, I mean, they, they kept the children at the school all night long and just told the parents, sorry, we kept your kids all night. And then mm-hmm. I, I I made a big fuss about this because that sets a precedent for, oh, well, there's a terror attack 100 miles away, so we're going to keep your kids until it all blows over. Mm-hmm. It's going to turn into that kind of thing, and they do this one step at a time, a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Now they're, they want to implement uh, dinner at school. So you eat breakfast at 7 a.m. at school, you eat your lunch, and then you have dinner before you go home to your, to your parents that are overjoyed at the fact they don't have to be around their kids so yeah. much. It's, it's a terrible, terrible thing. But everybody's acting like it's a good thing. And you saw it with the Boston, after the Boston Marathon bombing, too, when they completely took over the towns nearby and, and everybody was just in their house and, and it was on the whole town, even, you know, towns that weren't even Boston were completely on lockdown for several days. It was, it was ridiculous. And then when they found the guy, everybody cheered for the cops for locking in them, locking them in their homes for three days when they weren't even the ones that found the guy. No. Uh, apart from that, though, if, there's so many movies, even asteroid movies you were talking about earlier. Wherever you have these movies, you've always got the U.S. And military in, in charge of everything, you see. And there's always the, the troops turned out in the streets to, 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 make, to manage the public. You're being trained with all the fiction that you watch as well. And that's why you start cheering the darn troops on, you know. Uh, uh, you're already trained to do it because you've seen it in countless movie scenarios. Uh, and, 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 the, and the movie scenarios are nothing but propaganda technique. It's all the art that you're watching is pure propaganda and acclimatization of indoctrination to accept something you shouldn't be accepting. You know, when you've guys in black combat gear uh, coming to the doors and so on, uh, looking rather nasty, uh, um, and, and you've been told that this is a good thing for your good. Well, how many, how many attorneys in the, in, the, in the 20th century have used this technique before? We know what happened, you know. So you're being basically mentally disarmed from thinking logically and reacting logically to what you're actually experiencing. Right, right. Do you remember the movie Deep Impact from 1998? Yeah. yeah. The In the movie, there's an asteroid coming and everybody's going to die and there's no way that you can survive unless you get a, a call from the national lottery mm-hmm. saying that you've been chosen to go underground and of course all the old people are out of are automatically not eligible for the lottery all the all the sick people are not eligible for the lottery and you find out later that there's a lot of people that are in the lottery that that just happened to work for the government, and that's why that's they're right. in the lottery. I, yep. I, I think that was to get people to understand if there is a natural disaster, if if the world's going to be destroyed, then the only people that are allowed to survive are the rulers at the top, and the worker and the drone bees, the drones, the technocrats, and so on, the, the technicians, those the scientists, 
and of course that was all that all that whole movie scenario there came from the Cold War era because they had these big uh, uh, practices of bringing in the special people into their bunkers and so on, etc. And it was all to do with a, a point system of your importance to, to the system, not to society necessarily, but to, to the system. I mean, the, the system that runs the world and to the, to the rulers and to your technical expertise, your, your valuability to, to the system. And it's interesting that when Margaret Thatcher was prime minister of Britain, they had an exercise on the go then. And they were really hyping. I mean, they, they, they changed Scotland into an armed fortress. They, they destroyed Loch Ness with all these bunkers along the hills and things. An idea being that they'd sacrifice Scotland for a nuclear strike, you know, and uh, things like that. But uh, during that whole period, they had an exercise where the special air service and different special units would bring in uh, elite people. The Harrier jump jets, vertical takeoffs, would, would, would pick them up immediately within a short time. And helicopters would bring them into these bunkers. Uh, special air service uh, uh, would, would guard them as they're all coming in, streaming in. And the reporters actually asked her, well, what about the ordinary people? She says, well, they can't get in. Anybody who does try to get in will simply be shot. And that's that. This this is the real world. This is the real world, and but you're given a completely different version when it comes to science fiction. And who funds it all? The Pentagon funds it, and the big foundations that run the world. You don't elect the Pentagon. You don't elect the foundations that run the world. These private organisations, they run the world. They run your your entertainment, your indoctrination, your school system, everything else. They just, they set the curriculum for the children. For Agenda 21, Common Core, by the way, is nothing but Agenda 21, sustainability from the 90, you know, the early uh, Rio summit. It's all in there, and that's the indoctrination for a global society through the children. You have to uh, take entertainment uh, with a conscious mind. Most folk don't. It's designed to make you think it's real for a little while to, to get you off in, in, in fantasy land. But uh, that's where most of your indoctrination and your training is coming from, including your behavior, your personal behavior, to do with promiscuity or where else it happens to be. Right. I, I watched Transformers for the first time a couple, I guess it was a couple months ago, and I was horrified by what they were putting in there to kind of tickle your mind to make you think that if, if this happens, then the government's allowed to do whatever they want. If that happens, then you just lay down and you give up your guns and you do whatever the government tells you to do. And you see it over and over again in all these movies. There's got to be some kind of point to it. And the point being, they want you to completely give up any sense of, of, of your own security yep. to the to these black outfitted thugs whenever mm-hmm. they show up at your door. And to not fight back, never, ever fight back, or you're the bad guy. If you fight well, back. yeah, you'll be you. You will be instantly in times of emergency. You'll be instantly killed, even for complaining. They won't have, even have the time to respond to you with any kind of decency. They'll simply kill you. They're told that, by the way. Right now, when you look at the NATO exercise response, all NATO countries have signed this agreement years ago, and I read it on the air, by the way, years ago, and it came out only through a, a series in Britain. I think it was a Man Alive team at the time or uh, did investigation into uh, an obscure uh, booklet that was supposed to be put out for the members of the public through all the post office systems throughout Britain. 
and it was to do what to happen, what to do in times of emergency, either for attack, like atomic warfare, or biological plague uh, for terrorism, or, or or intercountry warfare, or anything like that. And it was to be total lockdown of the what they would say would be the affected area through radiation or infections or whatever. It said that that. The people were to be contained there until they die off. Any individual trying to leave that area is to be shot on sight by the military. They'll have rings around it, cordons rings. And any, uh, any groups trying to leave it and come out will be bombed with CS gas from, from, from helicopters and aircraft. And there was instant death. They're going to kill you regardless if you try to escape and survive. That's that's the law, folks, and your country signed on to all. Well, that's even more scary considering Obama just said a few days ago, I'm more worried about a nuke hitting my Manhattan than I am about Russia. Do you think that there there's going to be some kind of false flag event involving nuclear weapons in New York City? No. Um, if that was to happen, believe you me, the folk in New York would know it long before anybody else did, and they'd be long gone. True. That is true. If you look to what happened at the 9-11 Towers and the, the companies that pulled out rapidly uh, but the weeks before it happened and uh, the employees who didn't turn up that day, uh, they had long advance warning. But mind you, it came out on the BBC that they'd warned the U.S. weeks beforehand that this was going to happen on that date. That came out that day, by the way, that was broadcast in Canada from Britain. The head of the British uh, MI6 came out and said that. He says, yeah, we told them. He says, it was going to happen, but they wouldn't listen. Israel told them as well. Uh, so it was meant to happen. It was meant to happen. The guys, remember the, the, the guys who were on top of the, the, the towers, uh, they called them the, call the dancing Jews, who were caught initially. And they, and they said they were photographing it happening from the top of one, one of the opposing towers. Um, and then initially they were suspects. They said, oh, well, there were students, actually, and they worked with a moving company, and they were all eventually let go and, and moved off to Israel. Well, one of them was on Israeli uh, television, and he's, he's asked why they were there. He says, well, we're there to photograph the event. Mm-hmm. Well, how could you be there to photograph the event unless you knew the event was going to happen? Right, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you understand, everybody knew supposedly except, uh, except the U.S. Pentagon, but again, they just tie it back in. We, 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 we need something on a Pearl Harbor event if we want to have the people behind us to invade these countries. What kind of crisis do you think will be necessary, if any, for NAFTA to materialize like the EU? Um, you, you don't need a crisis. It's already here. Um, we forget we had the free trade agreements, and most folk don't even, uh, haven't even read the thing going back into the 80s and the 90s. In 2005, they had five major signatories by the presidents and prime ministers of Mexico and Canada, Canada and the States uh, up to 2010 for a complete uh, basis of all the preliminary parts of integration, including Fortress America. Do you remember that one, Fortress America? It was published in Canada. That were All our, our um, intelligence forces here, computer systems for intelligence forces, are, are completely integrated with the CIA NSA, etc., um, for, for total security for the whole of the Americas, uh, were already being integrated. In fact, they, 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 a bureaucrat from Ottawa, a high-level bureaucrat, can now uh, transfer his job into Washington, D.C., and vice versa. These things have already happened. 
Right, right. And they're played down, of course. So you're already integrating. And the next part, of course, is, is um, uh, they don't really have to change the currency right away and get a common currency for the Americas because they basically keep our dollars at much the same value, the U.S. and Canada all the time anyway. So it's the same big bank and money lenders who, who run it all. So it's, it's all pretty well there. You know. Well, and, and I know I'm, I'm kind of switching topics here, but I'm trying to get through all these questions from the, from the listeners here. Uh, what about the emasculation agenda? What is this even all about? Because obviously, I, I think it has to do with the depopulation thing. But what what do you think the emasculation agenda is all about? It was very simple. Um, again, if, if you go back into the old writings of the big planners who worked to give us, give us a common culture, a new culture, uh, before and after World War II, uh, they, they wrote lots of books about it, the top professors and behaviorist sciences. Now, now we've got the, the, the so-called neuroscientists involved, etc. And they go into the basic human behavior, and they bring in history. That's where they bring in the philosophers and historians into the top lectures, uh, and even in the U.S. State Department. That's what Quigley did. He trained a lot of them. But um, you go into basic human nature, and they say, what's the problems down through? How did any elite in the past get overthrown? And it was generally through unrest. And who creates the unrest? Who has the families to feed or had the families to feed in the past? Uh, had the most to lose? Who had the most responsibility? Who was responsible for the family unit? Uh, so it was a man. Therefore, the family unit became an enemy, number one. Destroyed the family unit. Redefined the family unit. Uh, the man himself, okay, what does it always? He's, he's a man. He's, he has instincts. He has testosterone, etc., etc. Charles Galton Darwin, who works with the, uh, along with Bertrand Russell and the Macy Group and the Frankfurt School and all these other groups, published his book in the 1950s. And he's, he is called The Next Million Years, How, how They Will Control the World. <laughs> and he said, he said that the, the male has always been the problem uh, to, to, to being dominated by force or whatever. Uh, therefore, we can effeminize him by altering his, his, his chemistry, his hormonal chemistry. He says, we can do it. He says, uh, we already have the techniques to do it by putting something either in their injections, inoculations, in their food supply or their water. And they've used all of these techniques. We know the bisphenol A. They've known this since the 1890s, by the way, when they discovered the stuff in Germany. Uh, bisphenol A, if the woman's taking any plastics uh, at all, even traces of this stuff, is so potent uh, during pregnancy. And, and the, about the 8th to 12th week of pregnancy with a ma- carrying a male child, that male will never develop quite normally at all. And today we have uh, undescended testes and, and, and very effeminate behavior and various problems, even to complete sterility in the male. So uh, this, is, this is warfare, you understand. No, nothing happens by chance. If it wasn't planned that way, believe you me, these boys at the top would have it rectified instantly. Anything outside their control uh, they, 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 and wasn't done by them, they change it immediately. Uh, so when they hum and haw for years and decades after decades about, oh, should we ban this stuff or not? And should we relook at the inject? No, no, no. It's meant to be that way. What's happening is deliberate. So the men are becoming very effeminate. And, and the, the sperm count in the 80s and 90s um, in America dropped by 80% in men 20 years, uh, sorry, 18 years old. 
because it used to always do it on students at university, and they found it had, had, had dropped that much in, in, in a few years, and that was after uh, the increase in inoculations and so on and so on and so on. That is so sad, and at the same time, they're they're masculinizing the women and saying to them, "This patriarchal society is so mean to you. Uh, well, we're going to give you freedom, and we're going to give you uh, your own set of testicles, basically, and and you're gonna you're gonna rule the world. And when you, if and when you ever do get married, you're going to rule over the husband so that he never has the chance to rule over you." That's a, a, they, they, what they give people uh, is what they think is power. Power is, is at the bottom of everything. And you give them the sense of power, where it's, it's Latinos uh, with La Raza. Uh, you must radicalize them. And radicalization, authorized radicalization by the top, and taught in university, by the way, is actually authorized hate. It's authorized hate towards a particular group. Right. And, and and so you definitely have authorized hate, and, and it's a technique which the big boys are very good at using under many different guises, but that's exactly what it is, authorized hate. Uh, you're, the male's responsible for all the world's problems, etc., etc. But believe you me, at the top, they've used everything there is to be used, including genders, and they love useful idiots. And useful idiots are always disposed of after they've completed their mission. Exactly, and they, you even see it in in some of our favorite TV shows. You like one of my favorite TV shows. I have to admit is is House MD, and I'm really sad that it that it stopped being on the air. But I noticed after way long after I I quit watching that watching it that the boss is the woman, and then you have the stupid male that's always trying to do stuff behind her back, and then she finds out, and then she punishes him for doing yep. things behind her behind her back. And I'm like, whoa, wait a second. That's not supposed to be there. Well, the, the whole impression is the, the man is simply uh, to be looked upon as a little boy, always. He's a little mischievous boy, not too bright, uh, and he's mischievous. Uh, and so you must treat him like a child. Right. Right, and it and it's oh man, I, I I wish we had an extra couple hours to talk to you because this is really interesting to me. Uh, we have a whole generation of man children, is what they they call themselves. They call yes. themselves man children because all they want to do is watch cartoons and play video games, and they never want to settle down, never want to have a family. They actually have been trained to think of family as a bad thing. Oh, absolutely. And, and here's another thing, too. So many of them now, because in, in, in the 19, early 70s, Britain, Britain's Labour Party started pushing for single family homes because the, the, the agenda then was to have no males around after pregnancy and they'd have single family. Well, mo- so many guys today uh, haven't grown up with a man in the home. Right. If they have, they've seen their fathers pretty well destroyed by the court system. And uh, through just paying forever and ever and, and being pretty well made destitute uh, by the court system. So they don't want to end up uh, in that same situation either. So the, that's an added thing to dissuade them from, from getting married. Absolutely. But I'll tell you something. Everyone's been conditioned. Everyone's been conditioned. I don't watch television at all. Uh, and I know it's a deadly force. That's what it is. I've, I've got lots of uh, documentation over the years I've collected on the deliberate planning of propaganda through a fiction to alter societies and change the behaviours of men, women and children too. 
and it's so concrete uh, and powerful that uh, you can't allow yourself to be indoctrinated uh, even by the little hooks they put in. Here's a story, here's a hook. The hook will pull you through watching it, even when you watch pornography or even paedophilia that they're putting in there now. So they're sneaking it in one way or another because that's the next part of the agenda too. And so you can't allow yourself to be poisoned that way. Uh, or, or, or your your mate doesn't look like a Playboy bunny every you know, and 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 to to her you don't look like uh, the latest superstar either. So it's meant to make you dissatisfied with what you have. There's always something better. Just go and do it. And people, unfortunately, uh, monkey see, monkey do. They do it. Yeah. Right. Right. And it's, exactly. it's weaponized. And so. Um, it's yeah, I mean, to see Brazil came out. Brazil came out, and the top soap opera guy uh, was working with government agencies and behaviorists to indoctrinate the women to go for more abortions and things. It's been a super success, done through fiction and drama. Right. You will not be successful unless you don't have any children. You won't be allowed that's, that's to have it. a life if you have that's kids. It. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's so sad. And I, I saw Miley Cyrus up there. And uh-huh, she's yeah. she's barely eighteen, and she's mm-hmm. dancing around and and touching the crotch of a man who's twice her age. Mm-hmm. He could he could literally be her father, yeah. and I I think that is that's what that's weaponizing music that's making it into pedophilia that people are cheering for, and it's really disgusting. Uh, what yeah. do, you, do you think that? Do you really think that pedophilia is what they're going for, or are they just trying to destroy people? Uh, In two thousand and one, uh, people missed this part because it came out just about in the same time as before nine eleven. There was an international meeting of the different censorship committees from governments that were having an, uh, a, a, an annual meeting for the West, and they said that now we have won. Uh, the battle for homosexuality to be displayed through through drama and so on on television. Um, and this was two professors, by the way, one in Canada, one in the States, who'd attended it, uh, that had this identical articles. I think somebody else wrote it for them. It'd be a handout, basically. Uh, but they said that now that we've won this battle, this is the next step, step will be for, for, for um, intergenerational sex and bestiality to be open to. Oh, yeah. my God. See, that... that uh, that makes me really, really sad to to see our society falling apart the way it is and then see people, even people who are so-called woken up, saying, oh, well, that's not that bad. Oh, well, you know, I remember hearing about that whenever I was a kid. Oh, that's not that big of a deal. And so slowly, I mean, I'm not saying that people should be put in jail for abortions or anything like that, but it's gotten to the point now where if you speak out against things like that or homosexuality or bestiality or anything that is considered hate, you hate people mm-hmm. for for saying, okay, well, that's not really yeah, yeah, your opinion. Your opinion becomes, uh, again, it's like Nazi or a slur word which, which brands you, you're conditioned to react to it, Pavlovian style. In other words, they're using the same techniques of Pavlov to authorize hatred against any opposition. Right, right. We just had Scott Lively on last week, who is again he's against homosexuality being publicized and being propagandized to children. And he and he basically said the same thing that just because he has a certain stance, he's had lawsuits against him. He's had people saying that he sh- that he's the 
worst man in America that he should be that he should be jailed or even worse for mm-hmm. saying things. And and yeah. I I understand that the society that we've all grown up in has encouraged homosexuality to the extent that people who are uncomfortable with it in the least I'm not even talking about people who, you know, want to set them on fire or hang them or anything like that. I'm talking about people who just disapprove are considered Nazis and they're considered the worst people in the universe and should be put to death for even thinking that it's wrong. Yeah. You you understand there's there's a big, um, so much psychological research being done on this and behaviorism too. On, on the techniques of using human behavior against targeted groups. Uh, and, of course, this is where you get your Pavlovian responses. You train the children at school to react Pavlovian style to particular terms so that if someone uses that term on them, for instance, uh, then they'll, they'll get so embarrassed and they'll blush and feel terrible, even though they haven't done anything except be asked a question. Right. Uh, so you, you, authorized hate is the name of the game today. And the government and and uh, the big boys who who are destroying society on purpose, by the way, uh, 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 and know what they're doing and why they're doing it to make them dysfunctional. Dysfunctional people, you understand, have no cohesion together to stand up against anything. And people today are dysfunctional. They don't even know where their opinions come from. They all have them, but they don't even know where they come from. Uh, they've never thought through anything seriously in any kind of depth whatsoever. And, and they're conditioned, they're perfectly trained and conditioned uh, with behaviorism. And uh, if you go into the history of Coronation Street in Britain, the idea, they, they've got psychiatrists, psychologists, behaviorists, full-time working on, on their teams uh, to, make, to, to always show the next step in the agenda, prepare the people through drama, how to react when it happens. And, and it actually works that way. The people behave that way when it happens, the real thing. Wow. It's perfect. It's perfect. But yet people don't even understand the music industry was, was, was not just the music, but all entertainment industry has been at war <laughs> with the world uh, since the early 1900s. And, and so they tried to, to use music big time. They tried to even get revolts going on inside the U.S. with music. They tried to get some of the black populations to revolt. The Communist Party did. And that was based in New York, by the way. And uh, they tried to get the black population to eventually revolt against uh, the rest of the Americans. But it didn't happen. It didn't work. So they changed in the time of Bob Dylan. And he was picked for its purpose, too, was to push sex instead. They called it free love and sex. And, and that's when, from, from that movement came the rock music industry. It was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And the government turned a blind eye as, uh, as, as, as bags of LSD were thrown over free uh, into university, over university walls and so on. And, and that's well documented, too, by the way. I've done document, uh, documentaries on, on, on what happened back then, too. Uh, how they used the Grateful Dead and, and, and different uh, managers to, to implement this new culture. And that culture, by the way, was authorized by the President of the United States after World War II when uh, when uh, the Frankfurt School and the, the Macy Group were got together and they were told to create a brand new culture. I don't mean to cut you off, but we are out of time, unfortunately. Um, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to get Alan Watt again on oh, yeah. because this was just absolutely mind-blowing. 